I'm Drew Wilmisher, and you're listening to the Wilmisher Music Podcast. W-I-L-M-E-S-H-E-R-R That's how you spell this awesome name and you say it, Wilmisher. W-I-L-M-E-S-H-E-R-R I'll sing some songs if you sing along while I play this here guitar. W-I-L-M-E-S-H-E-R-R That's how you spell this awesome name and you say it, Wilmisher. Welcome to another edition of the Wilmisher Music Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Wilmisher, and today we have an extra large, supersized holiday portion of an interview with the one and only David Lamott. David is a multi-talented artist. He's a singer-songwriter, an author of books for all ages, and a public speaker who has graced world stages like the United Nations. He's keynoted at conferences in India, Australia, Germany, and he's even spoken at the Scottish Parliament. Not to brag or anything, but he also gave a very compelling commencement speech at the baccalaureate service for Columbia Theological Seminary in 2016 which happens to be the year I graduated from that very seminary. In today's conversation, we discuss the importance of live music as one of the many threads that stitch society together. That's something David came up with, and I love it. We discuss songwriting and the joys of wordplay, and I just couldn't take any of it out. It was all too good, and I didn't want you to miss any of it, so you get the full thing. Lucky you! In Wilmisher News, I've been writing new songs like crazy and recording them to get on a release schedule for 2023 that should put new music in your ears every four weeks, beginning in January. I'm excited for this next season of music, so please be sure to head over to wilmisher.com and sign up for the email list. I just wouldn't want you to miss out on any new music, any new podcast episodes, tour dates, or even just the general silliness I like to put out into the world. So now I invite you to heat up some Thanksgiving leftovers, sit back, and enjoy today's conversation with David Lamott. Well, David Lamott, thank you so much for being on the Wilmshire Music Podcast. Such a treat to be with you. I'm really glad we could reconnect after a lot of years, Drew. Same, same. I think it was uh, just a little bit less than a year ago. You and I had a very instructive phone call, or at least I found it instructive, uh, (laughs) uh, just out of the blue. And you, a lot of things from that conversation have stuck out with me, Um, not the least of which was what I loved and I've written down on my wall here above my computer is uh, don't be a charlatan. You know, be, be who you are all the time and uh, and be able to go to bed at night knowing that you are who you are. And so I, you know, it was a very you made it very easy to get in touch with you, which I thought was uh, was really kind. You know, that's a very generous spirit of yours. Well, thanks, brother. I am. Um, I actually really believe in community. I'm nourished by community. I'm an introvert. I get my energy by being alone and I spend it by being with people, but I'm also really nourished by being with people. And I think community is where the juice is. I I think it's, 
what a tragic life it would be. Um, it's actually one of the things I'm really grateful for in my career as a musician is that I've never gotten really famous because honestly, that becomes a little bit of a walking prison. I think for some folks, you, you no longer can stop in at the grocery store because it's going to be a whole thing, right? You can't just swing by and grab some milk. And, um, I, I think that would be a very difficult way to live. And so I'm really glad. Um, I heard one of the guys from America years ago say that he was blessed by his mediocrity. Um, they were doing a, a a show in some town in a beautiful little theater, you know, 300-seat theater kind of place I might play sometimes. And um, the, the guy interviewing them said, so y'all are on a reunion tour. This is so cool to hear. And he's like, nope, we've been touring the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> he, he said he said it's such a joy to get to play this size room and get to talk to people afterwards and um not be mobbed by paparazzi but get to have conversations with people who are moved by our music and what a what a joy that is so um i really took a page from from them i thought that was incredibly humble given that you know you can't go a week without hearing one of their songs on the radio somewhere um in a public place or whatever so um yeah, I've I've been blessed by my mediocrity to have a a, a blue collar musician career for thirty some years. It's taken me all over the world and around the country, and and I and yet it hasn't been. I, I think honestly, both rich and famous, the two things that most people seem to be striving for, come with burdens that people don't really think too much about. And I'm I've been really fortunate to not have too much of either, but just a little taste of each. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I I do I I. Likewise, uh, really value the tax bracket I'm in, uh, <laughs> which is not very high. And uh, also, I like my free time and yeah. I, I like, you know, a little bit of anonymity. Um, you know, like I just ran in, we're in Atlanta here. I will occasionally run into someone filming a movie around <laughs> Decatur. The sure. other day, I ran into Mickey Rourke. Wow. There was, there was no denying it. He has, right. you know, a distinctive yeah. look. You go, I, I think you are who you are. And he's like, yeah, it's, you know, <laughs> well, welcome, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, awesome. But, but it's funny that you mentioned America because I was just watching a video. Uh, it was a studio walkthrough of Butch Walker's home studio. In oh, wow. mm -hmm. And he had a sign on the door to his loft that said, make America a band again. <laughs> 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 Although like, they're still a band, they've been awesome the whole time. But yes, that's really funny. Yeah, yeah. If if we could just use that word to mean that, yes. <laughs> it was like it's not a political statement. I just it was a funny yeah. joke. But I, everyone who comes by doesn't get it. And I'm like, how does how how every yeah American yeah. And they, they are so lovely and gracious. I got to do a couple of nights opening for them one time. It's actually quite a story. I can tell it to you later if you feel like it. But um, had a really lovely interaction with them a few years back good folks that's awesome yeah well uh for folks who are just hearing your name for the first time uh which you know let's break that trend right now <laughs> <laughs> how you said you've been in music for how many years um let me see if i got it i think i said 32 years let me see if that's right um i have done music full-time yeah, for uh, 33 years now. 33 years. All right. So you've uh, you've achieved the, the length of Jesus's career. 
<laughs> his career was only a few years long, but um, true, he was only uh, professional. But, <laughs> yeah, made it, made it past his lifespan. In fact, um, but yeah, I, I've uh, I've been really fortunate. I just put out my thirteenth album in June. I've gotten to do this for a living. I make up songs and I sing them for people and um, tell them long rambling stories, and that's what I do for a living. I've I do a few other things too. I've written some books and I do some speaking gigs and things, but, um, mostly I'm a, I'm an artist. I make up songs and I share them. And what an album it is too. Uh, I was was really enjoying following you online, uh, with the release coming up to June and, and then all of the promotion that you pushed afterwards. Uh, I just, I love your setup online for one thing, like you, probably have one of the best uh live stream <laughs> thanks here it is yeah. <laughs> my, my ambition is to know how to play all the instruments most of them are just props you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> well, and you do you have quite a few there i, it, I don't think it's going to be uh i probably won't post the video of this but just so people know i can see at least five instruments right now and i'm sure that six or seven if i include percussion so you know i i I can attest to your musicality (laughs) well in yeah in the shot right now that you're looking at there's a didgeridoo um a couple guitars a bass a u-bass a ukulele a banjo um a tambourine and a native american uh cedar native american flute um i see those oh and a little african drum over there yeah Good toys, good toys. You know, I my people because uh, I don't have anything within frame except for my old bass back there and a a kick drum. But you get mandolins, violins, keyboards, guitars. You know, it's good. It's good. It's good to play with it. You know, I I don't claim virtuosity really on any of those instruments. Guitar is my strongest one, but um, but I I heard a friend of mine said that a mentor of his told him years ago that. Actually, he's, he's a blues player. He's a white blues player who studied with an older African-American man who was a classic blues player. And he said, um, see, the problem with white folks is that y'all don't play the guitar. You work the guitar. It's supposed to be fun. You're supposed to just play. And, 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 and I, I really love that. You know, let's take all the pressure out of it and actually just be joyful with the instruments and see what sounds we can make and if they're pretty and if we can remember them and do it again later, you know, that's really all it comes down to. Which totally comes across whenever I see or hear you play for sure is you really look like you're enjoying yourself. I really love playing. And I'm, I also am, um, I tend to be on the edge of what I can do and I, I mess up a lot. Frankly, I'm not a super tight musician um I'm, you know seeing a show of mine is not seeing steely dan you're gonna hear some clams you're gonna hear some some things where i forget a word or i forget a chord or whatever and and that feels honest to me there's vulnerability in being on the edge of my capacity you know i i want to pull out a song that i haven't practiced for a really long time and see if i still remember it and and that i think there's i, I never want to be disrespectful of the fact that people have paid money to come to this show. You know, I want to offer them the very best thing I can, but I also want to offer them my vulnerability because all of us are messing up every day. It's part of what it means to be human, you know? And I think, I think to do that in ways that acknowledge our mutual humanity and, and see that something can be beautiful and be flawed, um, 
that that perfection is an unrealistic um, kind of ambition. I think there's a gift in that. For me, that's liberating, and and I find that actually when I when I blow a little something on stage and I laugh it off and I keep going and I hold the spirit of the song and don't get re- derailed that people just love that. They really relax and, and, and they relate to that. And, um, and so, you know, in the, in the dichotomy between being tight and being genuine, I always want to choose genuine. And I also want to choose, I mean, and not to say that you always have to choose one or the other, you can be both. Um, but I want to be, I want to be risking, um, whether in that's how I'm playing or, um, reaching back for an old song or trying a new one that's not all the way baked yet, you know, um, that all feels like part of the, the connection. I know exactly what you mean. Um, I've been leading worship in churches for about 15 years now, mm-hmm. and uh, there's so much technology now, especially in yeah. the contemporary band-based led worship, um, right. that really keeps everyone very much to a script. Yeah. Um, and when you can, and so I've had to learn how to use the software and things in ways that make it more flexible mm-hmm. so that it's not tied so rigidly to a track. So it's not so rote yeah. and script to the point where it just feels like I don't even need to be there, you know, right. 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 <laughs> but when you have those human moments, uh, where something slips or, you know, yeah. You can, it's like proof positive that no, I'm I'm actually doing something up here, <laughs> right, right, and 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 it's real and human and it's rooted in community and it's it's reweaving the web of society that folks are actively trying to cut to ribbons. You know, I, I think it's very important that we welcome people's gifts in in all their humanity. I went to a church service this past Sunday. Um, my friend. Uh, Aaron was being installed as the new director of music at Black Mountain Presbyterian, and I went to see that. And it was just a joy to to watch him working with the choir. And these are all folks who have day jobs or retired or whatever, and they're they're showing up and bringing what they've got. And that's just beautiful to see to see that. That's awesome. That, I mean, yeah, that's, I had a friend of mine a few months ago, um, say something important to me that really has not left my mind, but he's like, especially in, in situations like leading a worship service where mm-hmm. all of the musicians are probably volunteers or you're putting together a group of musicians to create something, um, for worship, you know, their identity is not in the thing they're doing, you know, that these are people right you know, identities who are doing something. Uh-huh. So it's not like, Oh, that's my drummer. You're like, no, that's, that's Jeremy. You know, he's, right, right. he's, he's having a hard he works time at the at bank home. and right. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's got this going on in his marriage and yeah, right. That I, I love the, I love the real connection, you know, when it's not fake. Um, for me, that's kind of the difference between art and entertainment. I feel like, Entertainment can take us away from our lives and give us a little vacation from our lives. And that's a good thing. That's healthy to step away from time to time and be entertained and numb out and forget about stuff that you're worried about in your daytime. But art does the opposite. I I think it actually brings us back to our lives, but from a different angle. And that makes it holy to me. It, It gives us perspective. It gives us depth that we don't have access to unless we 
get out of the rigidity of our to-do lists. You know, our art, art takes us someplace deeper. And something could be both art and entertainment, of course, those are blurry lines. But, but I think it's important to, to distinguish between the two ideas and to think about what it is we're doing. And, and, and thinking about church choirs and such and being a church musician, I, I think there are kind of two reasons people hit a stage and, and, and stand in front of a microphone. One is that they want to impress people. And that's about all the energy coming toward me, right? And the other is that you want to move people and you want to connect people. And that's about the energy going toward them, or rather coming from them and being reflected back, right? I think um, some of the most magical concerts I've ever had in my life, where I was the one on stage, um, it's interesting that when at the end of the night, you don't leave the stage feeling arrogant, you know, or puffed up or proud of yourself. You leave the stage feeling profoundly humbled because... What just happened was so clearly not, you clearly did not do it, right? Yeah. Like, and, 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 and what a privilege it is to, be the, to get to be the lens sometimes that the light shines through, right? Um, it's profoundly humbling and it's, and, it's, and it's cleansing, it's cathartic. I feel like I just get washed out um, by that experience when it happens. And it doesn't happen every time, but it's, um, it's really powerful when it does. Absolutely. I mean, every, um, you know, stage performance, you know, textbook or person I've worked with uh, has always talked about that in terms of a relationship, you know, the the relationship between the person on stage and the audience, you know, and yeah. you know, I've heard it said, like, you're dating the audience and, you're <laughs> the, you know, you're going right. through a whole state, various stages of relationship within 45 minutes to an hour. Yeah. And a half. Absolutely. Um, you know, and- I find it fascinating how, yes, in in terms of that relationship with an audience and with other musicians, I do think the audience counts as one person. The audience counts as, so if it's a solo singer-songwriter and an audience, that's a dyadic conversation like you and I are having. It's just us, and it's very intimate. And you can talk about things in a one-on-one conversation that you can't talk about in a one-on-five conversation nearly as easily. It's just not natural to be quite that vulnerable in a larger group of people. It, we stand a little farther from each other and it, it's just a different thing. Um, it's a rare group of five where you can get really, really vulnerable. And I, I think other musicians on stage all count as one person. Yes. So I love doing band shows. It's really cool. You can do stuff there that you can't do as a singer songwriter, but it's also true that I can't, there are things I can't do with the band that I can do in the one-on-one as a solo performer. Um, I had a nine piece band for my release show in June and it was so much fun to drive that train. I lost a ton of money. I couldn't begin to pay them all off the door, but it was such a joy. I just loved getting to do that. But I got to say, I really love doing an intimate show with just me and my guitar and some folks to listen. And um, that's that has a, an intimacy that I can't find anywhere else. I do think that's why when you see, you know, sometimes a band or, you know, a large ensemble on stage, when they get to the moment of the concert where it's more intimate, you know, it's the singer songwritery mm-hmm. part of the night. Like, yeah. A lot of the band will... Yep. sometimes leave the stage because they're like, yep. 
I know that I'm just going to distract. This is a different thing we're doing. <laughs> That's right. You drop the spotlight. It's got a little blue in it and, and everything else on the stage goes dark and it gets smaller. Yep. It's lovely. Yeah. <laughs> So, and, and so in terms of, of art and connection, like you are probably one of the most community minded artists, um, that I'm aware of, and you reach out to that community in a fun, a bunch of different ways. You have many gifts that extend even beyond music. Um, the, I, I'm thinking in particular of, uh, some of the books you've written, uh, the, uh, white flowers. Yeah, White Flower. Thanks, Drew. That's a really kind thing to say. Um, and it means a lot to me because that is a value that I hold deeply. So I'm I'm glad you see that in me. Um, I don't always feel like I practice it beautifully, but it's an intention that I hold. So, um, yeah, I, I do believe <laughs> it, it. it's funny. I guess we're circling back to something we've hit before here, but from another angle with at another layer down... Um, I think audiences are often unaware of how interactive a concert is. Musicians are aware, but the audience doesn't know how much they're putting out. You know, they, they think sometimes audiences, I think, conceive of a concert as them receiving, you know, the, the musicians sending something to them and they're catching it. And that is one thing that's happening. But of course the audience is also contributing. And I, you can't have the magic of that performance without the audience there. It's just, if I'm standing there solo on stage, we all got to experiment with this during the pandemic, right? Um, exactly. Yeah. Doing, doing live video shows with no audience there. And I'm grateful that we were able to do that. And there can sometimes be a little taste of the magic that can happen. Cause you know, the people are there, but it's not the same as being in the room. There's no way it's the same. And I, I'm so glad to be back to that. So all that to say, yes, I value community very much. And and what I, I, I guess I do have quite an agenda as a musician. Um, it's not just, hey, enjoy my songs, here they are. I really do want to connect people to each other and themselves. And, and I want to speak a little truth as I understand it um, and create a space where people can encounter their own lives. You know, I, I want to... I want to always leave room in my songs for the listener's experience and not just tell them about mine. Um, just part of why I try to write really visually, I try to set a scene and let people inhabit it and see where it connects. Um, because a, a song doesn't have any power if it's just my story. If it's our story, if it touches on an emotion that we've both experienced, um, then, then that's different. You know, if I sing a song about my grandparents and it brings a tear to someone's eye, they're not crying for my grandparents. They never met them, right? But they're crying for their own loss. And if by speaking honestly about my loss and my celebration of folks who are gone, if that touches on their loss and their celebration, then we've reminded each other of our common humanity. And goodness gracious, if we ever needed to be reminded of our common humanity, here we are in this moment on the planet needing that very much. So it feels like important work. It doesn't feel like fluff to me as some people, I think, perceive it. Um, I think art matters, music matters, if only in that it can remind us on a deep level that we're not alone. 
Absolutely. You know, it brings to mind an image. Uh, I once saw Livingston Taylor in concert, James Taylor's brother. Yeah, sure. And he's singing this beautiful song, and it's a very intimate space here in Decatur at Eddie's Attic. Oh, yeah. Been there. I've played there. Oh, it's so fun. It's such a great room. And there was one woman who, you know, started to audibly cry, you know, and mm-hmm. you know, you know it when it's happening and you yeah. hear it and he gets to the end of the song and he just quietly looks over and, you know, whispers just off the microphone. Mm-hmm. It's okay. It makes me cry too. And it was just yeah. this beautiful moment the of very intimate connection. And then he jumped right back in, you know, yeah. with everyone else. And it was yep. this nice, you have permission to have that feeling. Yep. Know? That's beautiful. I, I once, uh, Deanna likes to laugh at me. My wife, um, likes to, it, that's, that's actually, I could put a period there. That's just a thing. She likes to, laugh at me. that's good. But, but she likes to tease me about the fact that, um, a few years back I came home from a show that she didn't go to and she asked me how it went. And I said, I just kind of missed tonight. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't quite land. And she said, yeah, what do you mean? How do you know? And I said, I don't think anybody cried all night. And she laughed and said, it's pretty funny that that's a marker for you. that That's unusual. <laughs> and, 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 and it, that's true. But I do think that's part of my job is to help people feel things they need to feel by honestly feeling things I need to feel. And, um, and, and I, I, I actually have changed my language around that a few years back, I realized that it's wrong to say that I made somebody cry. It's more accurate and healthier to say I helped somebody cry. Yeah, <laughs> the, tears, yeah. the tears are in there and they need to get out and it's good to get them out. And, and so I'm really grateful when people open their hearts enough to, to make space for a song of mine and invite it into, weave it into their own experience to a degree that it touches them emotionally. That's powerful stuff. And it's an honor for me. It's, I had someone over the summer point out to me the uh, fact that musicians are gen- generally, not always, but generally musicians are empaths. Like they are very in tune with not only their emotions, but the emotions of others. And they're very mm-hmm. capable of feeling it. And that one of the things that makes us so valuable in society is exactly what you're talking about, is helping people put words to feelings that maybe they didn't themselves understand yeah. And sometimes just music to feelings. It's not even always words. I, I love words. I'm, I'm so passionate about that. But there are songs that I can listen to that don't have words that just go right through my spirit. And um, that's powerful stuff. It really is. I find it interesting, too, that the vast majority of performers are introverts. Isn't that interesting? I think there's something very interesting about that. I, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure I can articulate all that I find interesting about it, but it's it's a fascinating thing. <laughs> Which is I do find interesting because I am an off the charts extrovert. Mm-hmm. Uh, like mm-hmm. I need people, I need to be around people. Yep. Yeah. Just recently my therapist has helped me realize I also need external validation. And so I am yep. learning to accept that and yep. say, you know what, I'm gonna start. <laughs> asking for that but have just knowing that about myself makes it easier for me to get in front of a group of people and if i don't receive that i also know i don't have to take it personally right (laughs) yeah that's right like do i'll do better the next time but i'm also not gonna base my entire value on yeah your value is not defined by their reaction that's that's exactly right yeah yeah and and i i think the world would be a really different place if 
every five minutes or so, um, everybody got applause at work. Like I, like I do, you know, like yes. that's pretty nice. It really <laughs> Everybody is. should be that appreciated, you know. <laughs> I'm keenly aware that I get more than my share of appreciation. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's the, you, if anything, you deserve more. Um. <laughs> Thanks, but I, that's not a healthy thing to say to me. <laughs> no, I really do. I get, I get so much more. Um, people say really kind things to me often and I'm um, I, I try to never take that for granted or file it under anything other than grace because I don't believe as as I I think you could probably quote me years ago saying yeah you know what goes around comes around that's not true that's not even a little bit true and people who work so hard their whole lives and just have really tough things come their way and and live with integrity the whole time and really tough things and some other people who make other kinds of decisions and things turn out fairly well um i don't i don't believe that that's how justice works but i do believe in grace i, I do believe that there are a lot of gifts to be received if we're paying attention and willing to receive them definitely definitely i've tried to uh say that grace means that you know we get to try again tomorrow mm-hmm. <laughs> right um and we and we get we get some beauty in our lives that we didn't earn and i think that's really important i think um coming to the idea that uh coming from a perspective that you earned what you have is a pretty toxic worldview Agreed. I don't, um, yeah, I don't necessarily <laughs> believe that you always get what you deserve or that you've earned everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think, uh, I think reminding ourselves that, that that's not true leads to a more grateful life, which in turn leads to a happier life. Um, seems to me, I don't know. Just exactly. my experience. Well, it definitely gets outside of, uh, you know, viewing life as a transaction, you know, should I do this, I will get this in return. Right. If I am this way, people will treat me in return. Um, Right. And it does, it makes you more appreciative if you'd think that the the moments that you have with other people really are a gift. Um, Yeah. And, and also when people treat you really, really terribly, it's important to, not go down the road of uh, assuming you deserved it, you know? Yes. Um, I, so it works in both directions, I think. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I, well, I think if, uh, if it's not obvious, you know, the, the mindset and the heart behind the person you are by now, then people, I guess, just aren't listening. Um, <laughs> well, um, I'll, I'll also say while we're trying to keep it real that I'm at my best here. I've got a camera in my face and I, you know, like I also have <laughs> bad days <laughs> where I do not live up to the things that I believe. Um, but I, I you know, a, human? A, oh, a little, well, a little piece of, over. <laughs> a little piece of wisdom that somebody dropped on me uh, of all places on Facebook a few years ago. And I couldn't begin to tell you who it was. Um, I said something about hypocrisy in the context of not practicing what you preach. And the person corrected me and said, actually, a deeper understanding of hypocrisy is that it's, it's not not practicing what you preach. Nobody practices what they preach all the time. You know, we're all human in that way. 
Hypocrisy is not believing what you preach. And I sincerely hope I'm not guilty of that charge. Well, I guess we will uh, have to wait and see, won't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you just released your, you know, it's been a few months, but, but you've released your 13th studio album. Um, tell, let's, what, is, what are some themes in it? What, are, what is it? What's it about? Well, um, most of the songs were written during the pandemic. And um, it was a um, by far the most prolific songwriting period of my whole life. Not because I had more time. I didn't really feel like I had a lot more time during the pandemic. I tried to figure out early on what my job was now that it wasn't touring. And, um, and I came up with lots of answers to that question. So I stayed pretty busy the whole time. But um, one of the things I did was I started this Patreon community um, for folks who don't know about Patreon, it's a subscription service online where an artist can create a page and folks chip in a little bit every month and get some stuff that the rest of the world doesn't get. In my case, I send out a music video every Monday, which is often just me in front of my phone or whatever, pretty lo-fi or, or this, this little setup here. And I play a song. Sometimes it's an old song. Sometimes it's a brand new song. Sometimes it's a cover, um, and those just go out to the Patreon community. And um, and then twice a month we have video hangouts. We have Zoom hangouts um, where anybody who's part of Patreon can come and hang out. And there are uh, 250, 260 folks, something like that, in my Patreon community these days. But one of the things that I promised to my Patreon community when I kicked it off, and this was four months before the pandemic started, serendipitously, I started Patreon. And I've promised folks that I would write them a new song every month. Before Patreon, I might call three keeper songs a year a pretty good year. I've never been a prolific songwriter. But since I started Patreon, actually, this Thursday is going to be um, the the anniversary Um what anniversary is it? I guess it was, it was March of 21 that the pandemic started. All time has gone fuzzy. Uh, 2020. 2020, right. So it was actually November of 2019, four years ago, that I started Patreon. And in that time, I've written a song every month. So this album, for the first time in my life, I went into the studio with more than twice as many songs as I needed for the album. And that has never happened for me. I, I like 11 as a number of songs on a record. I think that's kind of perfect. And normally I go in to start recording an album and I've got like nine, you know, <laughs> and, I'm, yeah. and by the time we're done with the record, I've found a couple more or, or written them. And um, this time I went in with like 25. And that was such a luxury. And I'm, I'm super proud of the record. And I think part of it is that I've really been focusing on writing. And I think you get better at what you do a lot. And so I feel like I'm growing as a writer. I think some of these songs have some real spark in them. And, uh, and it's been a joy to put them out there. And, it, and it's been really validating because I um, got word yesterday that the album uh, just had its fourth month in the top 20 on the folk charts, four months in a row. And um, congratulations. Thank you. It's pretty awesome. And that in September, awesome. I had the number one song on the folk charts tied with James Keelahan. He also had the number one song in September. And um, 
and and I've never had a number one anything. This is my thirteenth album, and to have the number one song on the folk charts is pretty darn validating. So that's a song called September Me, in which I was um, experimenting with what the word September would mean if it were a verb. Oh, I love that. I love that. All right. Well, I'm curious. Uh, I'll have to go uh, listen in depth to September Me. <laughs> Thanks. I'm kind of proud of that lyric. I had some fun with it. Um, it's it's both light and poignant. Um, the, the second verse of that song says... Um, you used to dial a number and anyone might answer where you call. And now you call somebody and their body might be anywhere at all. Everything keeps changing with the seasons. The waves become the tide. I'm just trying to keep my head above the water. I don't want to miss the ride. That could be a Patreon, I think, of its own. Uh, just you reading your lyrics as well as I uh, was... Such a joy to listen to. That's an amazing lyric, by the way. Thanks. That, Thanks. I mean, I will geek out on some lyricism with you if you'd like, but I mean, that that is, whew, that's, I, I got goosebumps. Yep. Awesome. It happened just now. Um, and it's nice to have uh, another September song, uh, you know, Earth, Wind & Fire. They've been... Theirs is pretty good, I gotta say. <laughs> you know, I do love that song. What a classic. What a classic, man. And uh, we celebrate Chicago, twenty first night of September. Yeah. Anyway, well, yeah, we uh, we celebrate fall in our house. You know the way some people celebrate Christmas. Yeah. Day of yeah. Fall, the decorations go up, and uh, so that will definitely go into the heavy rotation of right on. <laughs> fall playlist songs. Right on. Right on. Well, I think that's why it worked really well on folk radio in September. So yeah. my next album is going to just have a month title in every, it's going to be a 12 song album. It's going to be called 2023 and it's just going to have a month title in it. Perfect. <laughs> no. It'll, it'll head to straight to the top once a month, <laughs> every month, every month. I'm going to be in the charts all year. By the end of the year, everyone's going to be like Taylor who, you know? Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> exactly. Oh man. What is your favorite way to write a song? Like, do you prefer, you, you mentioned you're being an introvert. Do you prefer like just hunkering down and hammering out some, some melodies and some lyrics or do you? Yeah, it's such a lovely question. Um, I, I have written songs every way you can imagine, um, including, um, uh, certainly starting with a riff and listening for what that riff is trying to say, um, what that music wants to speak, um, and then writing the lyric from that. But that's pretty rare for me. Most of the time I start from a lyrical idea and I sing the lyric and I find the melody in the words. And you can literally find the melody in any words, um, any words at all. You can read an ingredients list and, and hear melody if you if you listen for it it's there R words have a rhythm of their own and the rhythm sometimes suggests notes that go up or down and and so that part um generally comes second the the lyrics the text comes and and honestly a, these days a lot of the time it, it just shows up with a melody and then i have to find the chords that go under that melody i will say that I think musicians that write the most the, the best melodies and and are the most musically interesting generally start with the music and the lyrics 
the lyricists that are my favorite lyricists often start with the lyrics. Um, that's not entirely true. Paul Simon doesn't do it that way. He's one of my favorite lyricists, but he starts with the music and then he sing, He sometimes produces entire songs before he puts any lyrics on them at all and then sings over that. I've never done that. That's pretty wild. But the other thing that happens to me from time to time, especially if I'm spending a lot of time writing and playing, is that I will dream songs. I will wake up with a song half written in my head and sketched out and it's clear where it's going. And my job right there is to capture it. And, you know, 20 years ago, we didn't have these little devices in our pockets, but now I can just turn on the video and sing it into the phone or uh, play it into the phone if I can pick up the guitar and do that. And um, that's a pretty powerful experience. It happened to me two weeks ago in Chicago. And those songs end up being songs that I never would have chosen to write. And they just show up, and I don't know where they come from. That's There's something mystical in that. This song is a is a painful song, actually. It's... Um, and and a, it's a bold song for me to have written because it's writing about an experience I haven't had. And it's always really dangerous to try to tell somebody else's story. Um, but I think there's some power in the song. I'm trying to figure out what my relationship is to this song. But it's actually about losing a child to disease, um, to illness. And... Um, it is neither, I hope anyway, that it is neither maudlin nor trite. Um, it, I don't, <laughs> that kind of healing does not come cheap and sometimes it doesn't come at all ever. And I wanted to name that in the song and be honest about it. Um, but I'm trying to figure out, like, I, I, I feel like in some ways the, um, in, in some ways, I'm trying to figure out whether I even can sing this song to people because it hasn't been my experience and it's such a deep and painful experience or whether I should, you know, and the other, but the other piece of that is that there may be somebody who really needs to hear this song and that's why it was given to me um, and needs a place to put that. And I don't know, I'm, I'm wrestling with that. But that one just showed up. I was at a conference in Chicago, a music conference called the Farm Conference, the Folk Alliance Regional Midwest. And uh, I'd been up all night playing music, and I woke up early, like two or three hours after I went to bed. And uh, this song was just insisting on being written down. So that's the kind of thing I share with my Patreon group, but I may yeah. not ever share farther than that. But I immediately recorded it and sent it out to my Patreon people because I invite them into the messy innermost part of my writing and creative um, experience and process. Which is such a joy of the very interconnected world that we have now that you can so closely relate to the people who have said, I, I want what you have. You know, I, I am on board with, with your work and your journey. And then you say, all right, well, if you'd like to see a little bit more, you know, like, I appreciate that you enjoyed the food I made. And they're like, yeah, could we follow you around the kitchen? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's really fun. And and it's funny you should say the kitchen, you know, it was just fascinating in, in the pandemic when suddenly a lot of the polish that people had so carefully cultivated, you know, famous folk of one kind and another, musicians and such, people just dropped it. And 
it was astounding to to be watching these videos online and oh wow sean colvin has a kitchen in her house and there she is sitting in her kitchen playing a song you know yeah. <laughs> what an amazing thing uh, like and that there's something so humanizing about that that's just charming and i was so grateful to the artists who were brave enough to do that to say yeah here's here's my life here's what's going on with me right now and gosh it's weird to have no shows and you know people were being super honest and i have to say like talking about community wow did people come through yeah um, to to take care of me and a lot of other artists that i know a lot of artists had it really really hard um but my people came through like it was pretty amazing um how how much people just chipped in and said, yeah, we value what we, what you do and we hope you can keep doing it. And here's a little bit to help out. And that, um, I was okay all the way through the pandemic, just because my community said, we care about what you do. We want you to keep doing it. And it's nice to have that kind of reliable built in audience to test out something like a very hard song that has come to you and is, you know, it's, it's gotten underneath your shell, you know, it's, and it's a grain of sand that made it turned into a pearl, you know? Yeah. And they can say, absolutely. You need to release this. Mm -hmm. More people need this. Or they'll say that was beautiful, but I don't know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, I get what you mean about, you know, writing, you know, songs about experiences that aren't yours. Mm-hmm. Uh, because especially when things like authenticity are so highly valued and rightly so, and especially within yourself, you know, you've said that you want to be an authentic person. Um, but I, you know, I can't help but wonder if there's not, um, you know, a, a point of perspective, you know, like could, could you shift yeah. it to second person? Could you shift it to third person? Right. And I think, I think, um, I think it's appropriate for artists to stretch, you know, yeah. and, and the, the fact that we all have different, uh, personal experiences on the planet has to relate to the fact that pretty much all of us are painting off the same palette of emotions, right? I still have my parents. I'm so grateful uh, at 89 and 91, they lived nearby and I had lunch with them on Sunday and I'm so grateful to have them in my life. A lot of people I love have lost their parents. I haven't had that experience. Um, but I've had some grief in my life. And if I write a song about my grief, then it might touch your grief. And and that, again, reminds us of our common humanity. And that's sacred. That's literally reweaving the... Not literally. It's figuratively reweaving the, the web of society and of humanity between us, the fabric of society that we hear so much about has to be woven with intention. And, and I think art is part of how we do that. Definitely. Definitely. It reminds us that we're not alone, that we're not an island. Yeah. Um, well, we are now at a part of the uh, episode where I'll ask you some free association questions. I'm calling Great. it uh, the notebook section. Um, Love this. What is something from your childhood bedroom that you still remember today? Oh, wow. So um, I grew up in Sarasota, Florida, and I lived about two blocks from the spring training park for those Chicago White Sox. They would come down the spring and play these practice games. And um, in Florida, there are a lot of trailer parks that are full of um, retired folk 
or at least there were when I was growing up. And, um, and there was this big trailer park behind the church where my dad was a pastor, which was across the street and two blocks away was the, was the ballpark. And I would get home from school in the afternoons and the games would have started, you know, an hour before they'd be in the top of the third or so. And, and the rule was at these spring training games, Sarasota was a much smaller town back then. Um, but the rule was in, in these spring training games that after the fourth inning, they would let you in free. Um, and so I didn't have any money and I was never going to have any money. So I would hang around at the gate with the old guys from the trailer park who worked at the gate just for fun, um, doing admission at the baseball park. And I would just hang out with them and talk with them. And I had a great time, you know, with all these adopted grandpas and, and, um, we would hang out and after the fourth inning, I would go on in for free. But after a while, they all got to know me and they knew I was never going to have any money. So they might as well just let me in whenever I um, wanted, whenever I showed up. So I, I pretty much kind of had a free pass because I was a regular and I would go to these games and hang out and watch. And it was really fun. One day I was playing in the park across the street from my house and uh, met a little guy who was a year younger than me, maybe. And we were playing and his mom was nearby and um, we were talking and got to be buds and, and having fun. And um, I was maybe, you know, nine at the time. And it turned out that his dad was the first baseman, a guy named Lamar Johnson. He's not a particularly distinguished career in, in the Chicago White Sox, but he was there for a while um, working pro ball as a first baseman. And um, Lamar Jr. was the little boy that I was playing with. We got to be friends, and they came over for dinner, and um, it was really great. It's actually one of the very first times I remember a black family being in my house as a child, um, and I remember that fondly. But um, Lamar Jr. was my bud, and Lamar Sr. was very kind to me, and um, he brought me a baseball uh, with everybody on the team. It wasn't a pennant year or anything. I think it was 1976, so I would have been eight and he brought me a baseball with all the signatures of all the players on the team. And I uh, still got it somewhere, but it was certainly in a place of pride in my bedroom as a kid, even though I didn't really care at all about sports. <laughs> I treasured that because it represented my friend. That's awesome. What an amazing story, too. I love that. It was pretty so great. Much, that is so much fun. Um, well, growing up, what can you think of a, a time or a way that you would rebel as a child? Oh man, you're going to get me in trouble. Um, uh, I mean, I remember some experimentation with various things. I had, I had a little friend in the neighborhood. Mostly my neighborhood had no children in it at all. And there was one kid that would come visit his grandmother from time to time and we would hang out and he, uh, he liked to get into trouble. He was mischievous. And, um, he found some cigarette butts and we decided to try to smoke those and that was nasty. And I haven't smoked a cigarette since it was really (laughs) gross. Um, And I think we had a similar experience with some chew one time that he brought over and I was like, "Mm," and then I threw up and I was like, Nope, not that one. So, um, I, I, uh, I'm the fourth of four kids and, um, the first two siblings that went through in my family pretty much tested all the boundaries. And so by the time I got came along um most of the things had been done and my parents were exhausted so i was pretty they were pretty like hands off and you do your thing and and um for the most part i didn't get into too much trouble 
I can, I can relate. I, the third of three and mm-hmm. by a wide margin, you know, it's so. Yeah, same here, <laughs> right. And you're also an oops baby like me. And yeah. I, yes. I, I ask every year and for 35 years, my parents have said, no, we planned it. And I'm still- oh, that's funny. Yeah. So, so I never, the, the question never occurred to me until I was in college and I was talking about birth order with a friend and they said, oh, so you were a mistake. And I was like, <laughs> well, I never thought about it, but yeah, I guess I was. So the next time I went home from college, I said, I, in a quiet moment with my mom, I said, mom, I was, I was kind of a mistake, wasn't I? And she said, oh, David, you're an accident, but you weren't a mistake. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> okay. Mom points, mom that's points. Right. Yeah, the accident. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, what would you say was the best advice that you ever received and that you actually used? Oh man. Well, I'll, I'll give you my first answer instead of my best answer. I could probably, um, well, uh, let me give you, if, may I give you two answers to that yes. question? Yes. Is that right? So the very first thing that came to mind, um, a guy named Bill Melanson he used to be in a, a duo with Billy Jonas called the Billies. And, um, Bill saw me play early in my career at the Grey Eagle one night. And after my set, he said, David, can I just offer you one little piece of guidance about stagecraft? And I said, sure. And he said, I want you to strike these words from your vocabulary and never speak them again. I said, okay. And he said, I never want to hear you say ever again, this is a song about... Why would somebody want to listen to the song if you've already told them what it's about, right? Tell them a related story that's a story that's whole and entire by itself, that has some connection to the song, and then just sing the song and let them draw the parallels. And and goodness gracious, in working with that little piece of advice, my stagecraft just got so much better. My storytelling got so much better. There's no reason to tell somebody what a song is about unless you've got a really pithy funny little line, um, you can play with that, you know, in a, in a way that's unexpected, but generally you just shouldn't ever say those words. And I thought that was really great stage advice. It has served me really well over the years. Um, the other thing I would say, there's a piece of advice that my friend Gareth Higgins gave at a conference. I was in the room with a lot of folks and I had heard him say this before, but Um, he runs this conference called Movies and Meaning. Now it's called The Porch Gathering. It's going to happen um, again in the spring in Montreat. And um, Gareth was talking about community, and he said, basically there are two rules for community. And those rules are bring what you have and ask for what you need. Bring what you have and ask for what you need. So those that line found its way into a song on my new record called Here For You, um, the chorus of which says, Our lives hang by a thread, but you weave those threads together. They will make a rope that's strong enough to hold on to each other. If we all will pull a little, then just maybe we'll pull through. And as long as I am here, I will be here for you. So I credit Gareth in the album, of course, for that line. But I think that little nugget of wisdom, and incidentally, that conference happened in February of 2020. So the next month we hit the lockdown for uh, the pandemic. And those words really sustained me through the pandemic. Bring what you have, ask for what you need. At a time when we were all feeling unstable and vulnerable and scared, it was really useful to 
just remember that little mantra, you know. Absolutely. Well, the, this is okay. So uh, I feel like I need, I owe you tuition. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll pass it on to Gareth and Bill Melanson. <laughs> but those are two, two things, two good things people taught me that um, are, are still ringing in my head and heart. I do. I, I love, I mean, I, I like to say, uh, clarity is kindness and mm. the idea of bringing what you, what you have and being clear about that, but also saying, and this is what I need and being yeah. clear about that, um, is really, uh, very helpful. Uh, yeah. And, and, and keeping in mind that those are two different things. It's not transactional. It's, exactly. Yeah. It's gift exchange. I'm bringing my gift. Please receive it. And, and this is what I need. If you have a gift to offer me, great. But, right. <laughs> but the two things are not, it's not a quid pro quo. Exactly. Like I'm coming up to a well, you know, and I, I, I need water. <laughs> oh, I see this one's full of Dr. Pepper. Well, that's nice. <laughs> yeah. Go look for the well with water. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. right. <laughs> I yep. don't have to be mad at that well for not having nope. water. <laughs> nope. Exactly. I kind of be amazed that it has Dr. Pe- In fact. Exactly. But, um, and, and also, yes, every, I have it has always made me cringe every time I think about the times I have introduced a song by saying this is a song about. Okay, uh-huh. Yeah, we've all done it. I've done yeah. it plenty. <laughs> and it is. It's so obvious after the fact. Well, well, of course, this is. I think they're going to know this is a song. They came to hear songs. Right. It's going to be obvious. <laughs> and I don't really want to start the joke with the punchline. You know, I don't I don't want to tell them what it's about. I want them yeah. to have a reason to listen. <laughs> and in fact, if you can, you know, I, I, I heard a uh Little, there was a little series of um, sort of autobiographical audiobook things that um, they're all like two hours long or, or less um, that uh, uh, Audible did over the pandemic. And I listened to the one that James Taylor did and the one that um, uh, Sting did. And, and Sting said, yeah, honestly, if a song doesn't surprise me in the first 30 seconds, I'm done. I need a surprise. He said, songwriting is all about surprise. Yep. And, and I think that's right. And you're undercutting that surprise if you if you lay it out like that. Right. <laughs> uh, this is a song about fun wordplay. It goes like this. Yeah, right. For you. <laughs> Although there are times um, to, to do that. I mean, yeah. I, I have a song on the new record, um, actually the title track to the album called Still, that is written in this ridiculously complex rhyme scheme where the where the last word i mean it has the standard two four kind of rhymes but also the last word or syllable of every couplet is the first word or syllable of the next couplet all the way through the song okay i love this last last word of the of the verse is the first word of the chorus it doesn't carry through the choruses the last word of the chorus is the first word of the next verse till you get to the end of the song and the last word of the song is the first word of the song Right. So when I play that song, I like to tell everybody that I'm doing that because because it's ridiculous. And and I can then say, and if you don't care about any of that, you just listen to the song. It's fine. You know, (laughs) But, but it does sort of set it up. It's a playful thing. It's less art and more entertainment, but it's a playful thing where people are listening for it. You know, they hear that last syllable. They're like, how are you going to work it next time? Because each time I'm trying to change the meaning of it when I use it again and use it, have it be a different word. So may I recite it for you? This is really um, self-indulgent, but no, absolutely. I'm so curious. All right, here you go. Still a chill in the air, but winter is waning and springtime is winning. I swear that it will. 
Will you go with me to greet the new morning? The new buds are forming. The sky is turning blue. Blue by so much of my life looking down like a sad painted clown. But I'll wipe that face off. Often I've dreamed of this kind of adventure. And this is the clincher. You're coming with me. Meet me at dawn by the depot. We'll never have this day again. And you keep on talking about changes. This just might be where they begin. Intoxicating, it's been, I've been hibernating, but now I am waking a silly old bear. Bear branches whisper while others play rhythm. The jazz trees will give them side stick on a snare. Snared by a bramble, the seeds take the gamble to see where we ramble and drop them a new, a new sense of possible. The thing about seeds is they trust in the breezes and go with them there. There's no time to wait on tomorrow till our lists are all tidy and done. We might wait until 18 forevers and then find that we missed all the fun. Fungus and lichen, I must say I'm liking this green that we're hiking through everywhere. Wearing these grins as the new day begins. We're shedding our skins coming over the hill. Hilarious laughter, my worn spirit rises. The light in your eyes is a beauty to see. Scenery shifting, we're not going to miss it. We'll soak in this bliss, it's not time to be still. Still a chill in the air. But winter is waning and springtime is winning. I swear that it will. That's amazing. <laughs> Thanks. Yes, I would, if I wrote something like that, I would absolutely, I, I mean, I'd brag about it before every. <laughs> well, I sometimes do it as a poem in, in concert because, of course, people yeah. hear things very differently when you recite them than they do in the context of a song. I've learned over the years that there are people who can't really hear lyrics in a song. Like, or have to listen to it 10 times before they ever hear the lyric. Whereas I am the opposite. I'm having such a hard time having a conversation in a restaurant because I'm listening to every word in the Muzak. You know, like, yes. I just, I can't not listen to lyrics. I'll, be, so, in a, I'll be in like a, a, a buffet somewhere and they'll, they may be playing uh, symphonic arrangements of 70s pop standards. Right, so right. Going, this is Donna Summer on a string quartet. What is right, that? right, right, and sometimes really disturbing ones. Like I heard Rod Stewart "Hot Legs" in the, yes. in the in, at, at Ingalls in the grocery store the other day. I'm like, y'all know what this song says? <laughs> Bring your mother to like, come on, like this is yeah. I'm just gonna get this pasta here and go home. That reminds me, I need Tabasco sauce. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Oh, but no, that's fantastic. I think I would just, I would always Thanks. say, uh, you know, even if you don't get it, I just wanted you to know how hard this was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And their internal rhymes, as you heard, because you're that kind of listener um, yes. and, and writer, but I had fun with the internal rhymes as well. You know, I love um, internal. It makes it so, it, it just, it's so much fun to sink your teeth into the lyric when you yeah. have so much going on with it. Um, and it's been, <laughs> a, um, you know, like I wrote a song, the summer uh and i need to quit talking about it because i've talked about it too much oh come on not to me bring it but on it's called um you get me and the the trick you know the gimmick is yeah. I say gimmick loosely but the trick is that you get me has three different meanings you know throughout the song and there's the the hide and seek aspect of you got oh. me 
Uh, right. Okay. There's the, uh, the the deep emotional understanding of mm-hmm. you oh, understand me. Really, yeah. Really and then the admission, you know, the the surrender. Like I'm gonna open myself up to you, and you, oh, right. uh-huh. you get you receive me. You get uh-huh. me. Uh-huh. right. But one of my favorite. And there's there's is, three there's two more if you want to keep going. There's more oh, verses because yeah. there's oh, also there's like you could have gotten anybody, but you get me. That's right. Yeah. Right? yeah. And, and and then the last one that I thought about is if if you bleed it over, you get me to do things I never would have done. Like, Oh yeah. Like, so, Oh yeah. Anyway, that's, well, that's I mean, fun. That's, that's, that's really, that's got a lot of juice. And, and my favorite line in the whole thing is, uh, in the first verse, it's, uh, based on the Beatitudes and Jesus oh, nice. on yeah. the mountain, like the idea that Jesus is naming all of these people's situations and he's not negating them. He's saying, blessed are those who mourn, you know, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. you are indeed mourning and I get it. Yeah. Um, be, and this is why you'll be blessed because mm-hmm. you will be comforted. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, uh, you know, this way of Jesus saying like, look, even just being acknowledged and understood mm-hmm. is a blessing. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm. And at the beginning, there's this line uh, that I was feeling very deeply when I wrote it, uh, mm. feeling like a defective burden. You you correct me with a gentle sermon, collecting mm. me up in your arms and leading me home. Um, and it's and it is it's it, but it made that being able to write something that I enjoy saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So much easier yeah. to, to keep singing it. <laughs> well, but, and, and I think, you know, I, I heard somebody uh do a show I can't remember who actually at uh at Kerrville many years ago somebody was on stage singing songs and they finished a song and got a nice response and they said man I love that song and they took a beat and then they said I hope that doesn't sound arrogant to y'all um but I don't play the ones I don't love. It doesn't seem like that'd be nice. It doesn't seem like that would be a kind thing to do. Right. <laughs> like you, you ought to have permission to love your songs. It's good. Um, I kind of, I kind of loved that. It totally caught me off guard because I did, you know, the, he said that and I went, huh, <laughs> that's interesting. Like, and, and, and then he kind of unpacked it and I went, you know, you're totally right. There's nothing kind about playing songs for people that you don't love. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> I so. remember hearing someone play, like getting ready to start playing their big single, uh, at a mm. Huge for years. And yeah. he started by saying, Are y'all not tired of this yet? <laughs> I was like, Right. Well, okay, so I guess you are. <laughs> right, exactly. And I and I think it's really hard to it's really hard to offer a song generously if you're sick of it. Like yes. I, I retire songs that I get sick of for a while, and then maybe a few years later I bring them back. I know Bruce Coburn did that with "Wondering Where the Lions Are." He just stopped playing it for a while because he got sick of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, fair enough, you know. Yeah. I feel like at that point you can give yourself permission to kind of take it and rework it just a little, you know. Well, and that's what Bob Dylan has done so masterfully over the years. Like people want to hear these songs, he wants to play them for him, but he's tired of it, so he totally rewrites them and, yeah. and, and musically, you know, stays with the same lyric but switches up the the lyric and that's what Eric Clapton did with Layla, you know, and and had another hit with the second acoustic kind of bluesy version of it. Um yeah, I love that. I think that's there's something really wonderfully artful about covering your own song in an interesting way, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> I, and and I and I have honestly no interest at all in in covers that don't interpret the song and change it fundamentally. Um, 
you should weave your own art in with the art that you're honoring. Yeah. Um, I got to, I got to do that a little bit, or at least I hope I did that. Um, on the new record, I did a, I've, I've very seldom recovered, uh, covered songs that were popular that everybody knows, but on this album, I did a cover of Peter Gabriel's In Your Eyes. Ooh. And very I enjoyed that so much. And you know what was missing on that song before that isn't missing anymore? Bagpipes. Agreed. A hundred percent. So yeah, it has bagpipes on it. I, I like to joke, you know, that I, I am in a, you know, we're both Presbyterian or at least we run yep. in Presbyterian circles. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and the PCUSA comes from a reform tradition that has a very uh, interesting relationship, I believe, with the arts um, <laughs> yes. historically. Yes. And we just had Reformation Sunday, which is that Sunday of the year where we go, hey, remember that time, um, mm-hmm. you know, when our the ancestors of our faith said, I think there need to be some changes around here. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, in the the Presbyterians were started by a Scottish fellow named John Knox, and so we celebrate our Scottish heritage, uh, and we parade in all of the always with the bagpipes. Yep, always with the bagpipes. The king of the tartan. And I I love that Sunday because everyone everyone loves that Sunday. I don't think I've ever heard anyone go. I wish I could do with less bagpipes, and I'm always like. (laughs) And I can't that, that, that person's probably there, but they didn't say it out loud. <laughs> like, I, don't know. I don't want to be the one person. <laughs> I didn't I, really. Oh, go ahead. Excuse me. I didn't well, know. I just I feel like the bagpipes are the one Sunday a year when Presbyterians um, put a little bit extra into production value. <laughs> <laughs> Not I, universally. I don't want to put a blanket statement, but <laughs> I I had kind of mixed feelings about bagpipes for much of my life. But when I was in college, I did some traveling around Europe, hitchhiking and such, and um, busking on street corners. Lots of stories from that trip, but um, ended up in Edinburgh. And I was up on Arthur's Seat, which is this kind of mountain that sticks out into the middle of the city, weirdly. And um, you can hike up on it. It's bare grass. It's very nice. And I was sitting up there and heard the pipes ring out from the castle below across the valley. And I went, Oh, now I get it. Yeah. And, oh, and like, and yeah. bagpipes were never the same for me after that. It was just, uh, I kind of fell in love the, in that moment with the instrument, but it's meant to be heard at a distance. No question. It's true. <laughs> yeah. Right up close. You feel a little bit like point blank range. You're like, ah, my eyelids flew off my face. <laughs> true. It's so funny that we're talking about this. Cause I literally, I had an anxiety dream, uh, last night I woke up and told my wife about it. Um, I had an anxiety dream that I was supposed to play bagpipes at somebody's funeral and there were other pipers there who actually knew how to play bagpipes, oh, yeah. but I was supposed to do this solo on the bagpipes and I didn't really know how to play. So I was, I was kind of trying to find a place far enough around the building where I could practice and try to see if I could figure out how to make this work. And, <laughs> and, and, and so it was a little anxiety dream about not being adequately prepared, um, for, cause I've got a, an intense, uh, retreat that I'm leading this weekend and I'm a little nervous about it, but, um, I'm sure that's what the dream is about, but it's so funny that I, in the dream, I was supposed to be playing a bagpipe solo <laughs> at this memorial service, and I didn't know how to play. I was trying to learn really quick. That's like the uh, <laughs> that's the musician version of the anxiety dream about taking a test you haven't studied for. <laughs> right, it's precisely that. It's the exact same dream. 
Yep. So like what what higher pressure situation can you think of as a musician? <laughs> I'm supposed to play at someone's memorial service. <laughs> right. And I and I've never touched one of these instruments before. <laughs> what do I do? I have started this bit uh with my uh three year old daughter where I will scoop her up uh and sort of carry her like a baby, but mm-hmm. then put her thumb in my mouth and start blowing like a baby. <laughs> and, she'll, and she'll start going, hey. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. And we're working on that. it for family gatherings coming up at Thanksgiving and Christmas. We'll be Very like, good. hey, come be bagpipes. <laughs> put her put her in a little plaid dress and yes. yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so I'm curious, uh, are, is there anything you're working on now that's sort of like half finished or something that, you know, from some, some scratches or ideas? Yeah. Well, there's a lot going on right at the moment. Um, I'm definitely working on some songs. I mentioned the one that came to me a couple weeks ago. Um, I've got a sillier thing that I've, that's just cooking in the cognitive crockpot right now. I haven't written anything down yet, but I'm thinking about it. Um, I want to do, it, it might be a song or it might be a stage bit, I'm not sure, but I somehow want to do a piece that uses positive versions of all these words that only exist in the negative, which is to say, I, I woke up feeling gruntled because I felt, I felt epped in my work yeah. and, you know, like uh, that kind of stuff. Like, yeah. and I want, I want to do this whole little thing that uses all those words that only exist in the negative and then have some punchline about keeping a positive attitude or something. But, um, uh, I'm, I'm starting to just compile a list of words like that, which is kind of fun, um, or that I was whelmed and, um, the, the, the weather was clement. You know, all, all, all these, all these, these kinds of things. So, like, I, um, yeah, I, I felt shoveled, you know, my my clothes. So, um, anyway, that's that's a very silly thing. But I've I've actually got um, my book, the world uh, world changing one hundred and one, which came out seven years ago. It has a new edition coming out, an updated version, um, and then and a new title. It's going to be called "You're Changing the World, Whether You Like It or Not." And uh, that's being, it's been picked up by Chalice Press, so it's going to be published on an honest-to-goodness legitimate publisher. That's um, excellent. One that I really admire. And um, so Chalice is going to put that out this summer, and we're, we're f- polishing just a couple of last rough edges on that, and um, that's really a joy. And um, I'm, I'm working actually on a series of music videos for the new album, and each of them is different. I'm going to have different folks working on it for different songs and um, different kinds of approaches and, and vibes. But uh, that's really a lot of fun. I've got sort of four different music videos that are in various stages of production. One of them I'm going to drop tomorrow um, for the song called Thinkin', which is a, a song for people who tend to overthink things. Okay. Well, then I will definitely be checking that one out. <laughs> so, I'm working on a series of songs right now for 2023, uh, trying to release a song a month. Um, right on. Leading up to a full-length album at the end of the year, beginning of uh, 2024. Way um, to go. And so far, my theme that I've focused in on, because uh, how do you, you focus, but with a really broad topic, like, how do we cope with our mortality? So really light, fluffy stuff. That's uh, a great thing to consider though but it's a, it's also that speaks to the moment a lot of us have been grappling with our mortality in ways that we 
haven't before and just through the pandemic. And so I am trying right now with a song that so far is entitled Lose Another Minute um, <laughs> because that's the only line so far that's popped up a number of times. Um, but I'm trying, I'm working on a way around this lighthearted, uh, you know, sort of fun anthem of like, let's live in the moment, let's live in the present. Uh, there's a line in it. I'm I'm living in the present because it's all that I have. I'm consuming every moment like they're going to go bad. Um, <laughs> Great. I love that. And, uh, you know, I could think about the future till it creeps up on me, but I'd rather not get caught falling asleep. Um, mm. I don't want to mm. lose another minute. And I'm trying to figure out, like, what the hook of that is going to be mm. in the chorus that comes back in different ways. Yeah, you know... Yeah, and if I can just reflect, that's 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 a pretty solid line. I don't want to lose another minute, and and the truth is, you could sing that twice, and that could be your chorus. Yeah, it's worth singing twice, and it's sufficient. It gives people plenty to think about, um, and you can um, interpret it from a few angles. I think I, I think that's a powerful phrase, and just a statement of intention. Sorry. Oh, you're good. <laughs> um, I I think I like that, actually, as you say that, uh, it, it occurs to me, if the song is really short, you know, if the chorus is super short and everything is to the point, like that's almost a, a, right. an unspoken way of communicating. Yeah, and, and stop it cold and don't let the chords sustain. Just, yeah. right? <laughs> Next one. Like, right, that, that's fun. I like that. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I'm also working on another song right now called Haunted Houseplants. <laughs> nice, <laughs> like it. And it was uh, that's a good know. band name too. I, Drew Wilmisher and the Haunted Houseplants. That, oh that, my god! Awesome. Yes, yeah. that, okay, well done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's this the the theme is this idea that like I'm I'm haunted by things of my past. Like I'll think about mm. conversations I had ten years ago, and I'll replay it. I'm like, why did I do that? Why did I? Say right. That? Oh, <laughs> absolutely cringing about ways hurtful things that i said or stupid things yeah absolutely yep and so kind of learning how to live with these ghosts of my (laughs) past uh you know like there's one line in the first verse um do these spirits want to break me down or or is it self-defense like are we fighting because they're haunting me or are they fighting because i'm trying to fight them Oh, yeah. You know, and so I, so learning how to accept, yeah, my house is haunted, but as long as I'm living here, I might as well put up some nice things (laughs) like a, like a house plant. Um, you know, it's, uh, and so I'm trying to figure out like where to go with the bridge on that. Um, Mm. but so far, you know, haunted house plants, a garden grows among the pain. It's a slow dance, an irresistible refrain from the person that I was to the one I want to be. I'm mm. learning how to love my past without letting it define me. Mm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. I'm just not quite sure where where to go forward with that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, it feels like something's there. Well, let me let me uh, offer not specific to the song, but just. Um... I I think we spoke earlier in this time together about um, how songs can be creating a space for people to sit down in, you know, uh, um, for folks to inhabit. And the best way I know to do that. So, so when I'm working on a song uh, on a lyric in particular, one thing I often do is draw a little box in the upper right. I, I like to write on paper first drafts and then I move things to the computer and edit. But 
I will often draw up in the upper right-hand corner of the page, I'll just write out the five senses. It's not that I don't know what the five senses are, I don't remember, I just need to be reminded. And if I'm writing and I get stuck, I naturally glance up there. And I work through them um, and try to incorporate those things into the song. So when I do that well, which isn't every time, but when I do that well, um, I think what that does is it allows people to inhabit the space, right? It doesn't tell people what to think. It it gives them an experience. And when you can make the, the setting vivid, then I think it's that much closer cognitively to being their experience rather than hearing about yours. So uh, working through the five senses that way, I think if you're writing about ha- houseplants, you should write about houseplants for a minute, maybe, you know, like to, to, to just really describe the leaves and, and talk about the moisture of the dirt and the smell. And, you know, I don't know, those, those are options, but. Well, I'm making a note right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a possibility. I yeah, absolutely. But I, I like, I really like visual writing and I like, um, I'm a very visual person. And so, um, even when I'm listening to a song, I'm imagining scenes, and I think a lot of us do that. So it can be pretty effective to to try to paint the picture for folks, and then let them decide how they feel about it. Absolutely, um, a good example of that, I think, is, that always comes to my mind is the Beatles' Norwegian Wood. Oh man, yes. Uh-huh. You know, he paints just enough of a scene where he says, yep. I "Built a fire, isn't it good?" Norwegian wood. Right. <laughs> it makes you wonder: Did you build a fire in the fireplace, or did you burn the house down? Did you actually <laughs> burn the bed <laughs> in, in the fireplace? <laughs> That's how I've always heard that line. <laughs> it's like, Absolutely. She went to work, and he just burned her bed in the fireplace. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well. David, thank you so much. This has been so much fun. Uh, last thing that I like to do as Wilmisher is uh, support charitable causes. So if you have a charity in mind, uh, I will make a donation and post a link in the show notes. Awesome. Um, my wife and I went to Guatemala on our honeymoon 18 years ago, and we sort of accidentally founded a nonprofit that's been working there ever since. We've worked in over a dozen communities um, in different projects in different towns, depending on what our friends there need and are and are working on. We support local folk working in their own communities. Uh, we don't come in as gringos assuming we know how people's lives work and what the answers to their problems are, but try to walk alongside and, and, um, bring the peace we can bring. So, um, uh, that organization is called PEG Partners, P-E-G. P-E-G stands for Proyecto para las Escuelas Guatemaltecas, which means Guatemalan School Project. That's why we call it PEG. But it's also a tuning peg on a guitar where, as you know, just the tiniest little adjustment makes a really big difference in the sound. And one of the things we've learned in Guatemala is that U.S. dollars, very few U.S. dollars go a really long way in Guatemala. Last year, um, we partnered with Rotary International and they built a school in the Mayan village of Sanchach. Um, beautiful, beautiful school building that they built for $115,000, which would have easily been $4 million in the U.S. Oh, wow. Easily. Um, $115,000. And, and Rotary did an amazing job of not only funding that, but but seeing it through. And we were consultants to them in that. Um, 
And my friend Nino Takun, who's a Mayan man down there, um, decided without my knowledge, I had nothing to do with this, but he actually named the school after me. So that was um, a real honor. It's called Escuela Comunitaria David Lamote. So um, I'm really honored by that. And that's one of the projects we have there. It's not the only one, but um, we uh, are real, real careful to keep our overhead real low. I've been a volunteer for 18 years. Um, we have one part-time employee and that's it. And she doesn't get paid what she deserves. So we're working on that. But at any rate, um, pegpartners.org will take you to the, the website for that organization. And I appreciate you asking. Thank you. Absolutely. I look forward to supporting it. Um, that sounds amazing uh, and a really great way to make a donation go really far. Uh, yeah. And, and we actually take trips down twice a year as well. So if anybody wants to come and see for themselves and see exactly what what's happening, we'll take you and show you. Oh, fantastic. I feel like that's so valuable, too, when you wonder, like, where is this going? You know, yep. but yep. to be able to see it firsthand is really invaluable. Well, that sounds like really great work, and I'm excited to, to keep up with that as well. Thanks, brother. David, thank you for such an amazing conversation. It's been a delight for me. Thank you. I really, really enjoyed it and uh, look forward to sharing it with folks. Likewise. <laughs> That's going to do it for this week's Super Size Thanksgiving edition of the Wilmshire Music Podcast. That was David Lamott. You can find out more about David at davidlamott.com. You can follow him online. His Twitter is at David Lamott, or you can find him on Facebook at the David Lamott Community. You can hear his latest album, Still, wherever you stream music. And you can find out more about his charitable organization, Peg Partners, at Peg partners.org that's p-e-g partners.org thank you once again for hanging in for the wilmshire music podcast remember you can always find me online at wilmshire music at wilmshire.com and wherever you stream your music happy thanksgiving everyone have a great week <laughs>